on now, I'd like to say, people can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. People can do anything. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring. Gooey, it ain't going anywhere. They should have that in a big billboard across Times Square. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? Dave Smith dropping in here to give you a new episode. I know it's been a while. Been busy out here building some courses for Buddhist recovery and doing a whole bunch of stuff with my family and just making it through this long global pandemic. So I hope you're safe and sound out there. Today I got a talk that was offered just a little bit ago for the people in my mentoring program. So I'm going to share that with you on the refuges, the refuge of Buddha Dharma Sangha and how to work with that, how to practice those and also how to manage the experience of doubt when we're trying to cultivate a Dharma practice. And also some courses, my Mindfulness for Everyone course is still up and running and our Buddhist recovery online class and community is going strong. We got over 100 people in there. And also we have a freely offered Buddhist recovery podcast. All the links to those are here in the episode. So I hope to see you soon. Until we meet again, be safe out there, everybody. Peace. I rise above the lies, gonna take every chance. Keep my feet on the ground, gonna take my stand. Cause I know rock and roll's the only thing that'll set me free. Tearing down the walls, chasing the sun. All right, good to see everybody. Uh, I want to talk about something this morning that I have actually avoided talking about for probably a couple of years. It's a fairly prominent Buddhist teaching, um, although there's some controversy around it. Um, and I want to talk about it through the lens of doubt, the hindrance of doubt. I'm sure you are probably familiar with doubt. Um, but I want to talk about doubt and what, what, what's known as the refuges or the three refuges. And you probably hear me say that can understand why I've avoided using this term refuge and haven't spoke about it in a while. Um, but I think, I think it's important and I circle back to some of these things. Like I usually take notes. I have a notebook keeping track of sort of what I talk about and what I don't talk about. And when I notice I, I talk about something a lot, I try to put it aside and I notice if I haven't talked about something in a while, I try to put it back in. Um, but I think it's an important concept. I was talking to Stephen Batcher about it recently, and, and I, I'm always trying to find a, a way to things that bother me. I'm always trying to find a way to push them aside as if they're not important, and that's why it's good to have teachers that go, actually, that's kind of an important one. That's not really, refuge is not something to put aside. It's really a, a core aspect of it. So I want to talk about how we can think about refuge in a way that might be more practical and, and maybe more accurate. And the first thing I think that we have to try to think about is, you know me, I'm a nerd for terminology. But what does that mean? So refuge comes from the Pali term saranam. Refuge, usually translated as protection and safety. Now, if you have a trauma background like I do, uh, safety and protection are not words that are music to my ears. In fact, I hear safety and protection and I think, yeah, right, where? You know, safety and protection aren't things in this world, in case you haven't noticed. Um, so that, that right there puts somebody like me in, in trouble. And so that's why, as you know, like as somebody who's a huge proponent of metta practice, I don't, I, you never will hear me use the phrase, may I be safe and protected. I don't use that. I don't find it helpful. Some people do that fine. 
Um, and then I also don't use like, may I be happy. Um, there's certain language that that's kind of been problematic to me. And I just don't use it because I, I don't feel appropriate. It doesn't feel appropriate for me to teach things that don't work for me. Um, so when we think about, about so what, is, what does refuge mean anyway? What is, what is this poly word saranam? Well, I think first of all, we want to think about it not so much as safety, but as um, the word that I think does the best job is trustworthiness. What is trustworthy? Now, I can get behind that because that keeps the ball in my court. And it keeps me in an inquiry with trying to understand if something is trustworthy or not. So where I so refuge could be also translated as where I put my attention. Uh, some people could say where I put my heart. And am I putting my attention and am I putting my heart on something that is trustworthy? And if I do that movement, then you could say that I'm taking refuge in that because I've recognized for myself that it's trustworthy and I'm going to give myself over to this, right? I think that's probably, as English-speaking people, I think that's probably the best action way to think about it. Um, but then we take refuge in these three refuges, as it's called. And, and it's also very complicated because there's the refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. I'll talk about that a little bit. But then, even in, but then, but then when you look further, the Buddha's always saying, actually, the Dharma is really the only true refuge. You can really only truly take refuge in the Dharma. And I'd always get confused. I'm like, well, why does he talk about the three refuges and why does he talk about just this one? Um, so we kind of just walk through these slowly. And also, too, when we take refuge in the Buddha, for me, I always heard that as like, okay, I'm going to become a Buddhist now. Like, you know, I'm taking refuge in the Buddha means that I'm now a Buddha worshiper and I'm not so sure I want to be a Buddha worshiper. So that's already, we're in trouble right there, a lot of us. But of course, we're not taking refuge in the Buddha. We're taking refuge in Buddha, which is a term which became as, uh, the way that they talked about Siddhartha Gautama. But really, Buddha is a Pali term that comes from the term Bodhi, which is the name of my little Jack Russell Terrier, Bodhi, uh, which means awake. Some of you might know the term Bodhisattva, which is uh, somebody who serves awakening. Um, in the service of awakening. Uh, and, and this term Bodhi is also an important word because it's a word that nobody used in the time of the Buddha. It was a word that he sort of made up. They didn't talk about, they didn't use spiritual practice or this kind of work in terms of being awake or asleep. The Buddha kind of coined that, which is probably why he became the Buddha. And when people would ask him what was going on, like, what, what is your deal, Gautama? What, what is your thing? Like, what, what have you figured out here? He would just always say that I'm awake. Uh, so we can take refuge in our own potential as human beings that we can wake up and that we can, we can be aware. We can, we can move through the world in a, in a more awakened way. And it's not so much what we're, um, I don't think it's so much about what we're awakening to as much as it's a lot more about what we're awakening from. So instead of being concerned about what is the experience of being awake, we're probably better to understand what is the experience of being asleep which is probably the experience, unfortunately, you're all a lot more familiar with. Being asleep in our thoughts and our plans and our memories and our delusions and our confusions and all of the ways in which we just don't feel like we fit into the world right. Right, that's a very unawakened perspective. So we can take refuge in that. We could say that that's a trustworthy thing to endeavor. I want to wake up. 
That sounds right. I don't want to be asleep anymore. I don't want to just complacently move through the world, uh, taking begrudgingly, uh, you know, taking my chances on trying to get what I want and avoid what I don't want and just trying to, you know, play it safe. There's that word again. A lot of us, you know, we just, we don't want to rock the boat. You know, we should be grateful for the job we have or the relation. We should, we should be great, grateful, and we should just be happy with what we have and not take any risks, which is kind of a playing it safe thing, which I don't think is, uh, I don't think that's what we want. Maybe it is at times. Maybe it gets us through certain times, but I think in the end, we, we want to be a little bit more, um, willing to, to risk more. And that. And then we can take refuge in the Dharma, which is the thing that's easiest for me to get my head behind. Taking refuge in the Dharma as a trustworthy process, as a trustworthy practice, as a kind of dashboard, if you will. It's a good dashboard. For me, taking refuge in the Dharma, of all the things that have never been hard for me, I've always been like, yeah, I can totally, this is trustworthy. Um, I tried using my mind to navigate the world, and I can tell you that that did not work. So that was an easy that was an easy give up for me. I was like, you mean there's another option on the table than just trusting what my mind's telling me? Cool, like sign me up. Um, and then, then lastly, also as complicated, if not probably for me the most complicated, is how do we take refuge in sangha? Right, especially in our culture, especially those of us who have been involved in sanghas before, uh, where things haven't gone so good, which is actually most American Buddhist sanghas. Uh, most American Buddhist sanghas have had lots of issues. Very horrible, traumatic, uncool shit go down in most of them. And I think most of us, because of our conditioning and the way that we think about joining a church or even joining a gym, I th- we can't help it. But I think what, what we do is we, we live in a city and we go to the local sangha and we join the local sangha like we joined a fucking gym. Like, I'm just going to join. I'm with... I like what you guys are saying here. And then I'm going to make an assumption that everybody in that room is trustworthy and safe. That's a bad idea. You know, that's a bad idea. But if we, um, but if we don't know any better, we can't help our, help our, help ourselves. Let me just take a look at this. Uh, yeah, no, the, re- yeah, you could say refuge in the Eightfold Path. That's another way to take thinking, taking refuge in the Dharma. Any Dharma teaching you could take refuge in. And some Dharma teachings have, maybe have a stronger sense of refuge for you than other ones. There's so many, of course, right? So honestly, to, be, to me, to me, truth be told, the closest thing that I've actually experienced to a trustworthy Sangha is the 22 people staring back at me right now. You know, I feel like this has been the closest thing that I've ever been involved with where, um, of course, we have the protection of the little digital screen so nobody can behave too poorly. Um, but still, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that you choose to engage in. And I think that when it, like for me, what, what it's boiled down to is my Sangha are people that I have to sort of hand select. A bad analogy, maybe, but it's like the president. You got to pick your staff. You can't just walk into a room and go, okay, you guys will do. Everybody here seems nice. They all have on black hoodies. They must be trustworthy or whatever it is. We have to be a little bit more thoughtful about that. So like for me, like I have a refuge of, uh, you know, I have four or five Dharma teachers that I trust, that I talk to regularly. I have two therapists that I talk to and trust uh, and talk to regularly. I have uh, two AA sponsors that I talk to and I trust that I speak with regularly. I have friends. I have um, 
friends in, from my music career in Boston, my recovery friends from Boston, who are not impressed at all with what I do, who I can get real feedback from. One of them you might have seen, if, if you guys have been on the recovery calls on Wednesday, my friend Jesse in Boston, who's a real handful. He's, uh, he's, one, of my, he's one of my people because he will never, ever lie to me. Uh, almost in a, in a he'll always shoot me straight so I can always get get good feedback from him and we need I think we need to have those people and maybe we could we could think of those people as our sangha <clears throat> it's a little bit more hard work to do it that way though rather than um just sort of joining so then that brings me to doubt uh because um when I think about the three refuges that also highlights the area where I've experienced the most amount of doubt I've experienced a whole lot of doubt in my ability to move through the world in a way that's skillful. Um, I don't know about you. Has anybody else experienced self-doubt before from time to time? Right? And that's ongoing. You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. You know, I'm just a little bit too fucked up or I've just had too much. I've had too much bad experiences. I'm not going to be able to. I'm just not going to be able to get it together like in any real capacity. I've had that thought many times. Um, also, the one again, the one that's been the easiest for me is I haven't had a lot of doubt in the Dharma because it was such a transformative process for me early on. But there's been times in my life, I mean, many of you have probably heard me say this before, but like when I was five, when I first got sober, I actually, I sat the three-month retreat and then went and sat a two-week retreat and I stopped practicing for like five years. I like literally quit the Dharma for like five years because I was like, this is for like educated white people who aren't traumatized. Like this is not for me. I'm not smart enough. I'm not well enough. I'm not, I'm just not enough of whatever to do this. And I really kind of just doubled down on my AA work and stuff, which was good for me at the time. So I've, I've actually had enough of doubt and Dharma over the last 30 years where I actually literally just stopped and not like in a negative way. I still thought it was great. I still valued it. I just didn't think that I had what it, I didn't have what it takes. Uh, to be able to actually utilize it in any meaningful way, which is a very kind of sad place to be. Um, and then doubt, you know, Sangha, I've had a lot of doubt in people over the years. People are, um, will let you down. Uh, there can be betrayal. There can be broken trust. I think that probably many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, one of some of the most painful experiences that we've had in our lives is we've deemed some other human being to be trustworthy and therefore we put our attention, we put our heart, we put our trust in them and found out that that was actually not the case. Or, you know, maybe and not all their fault, we all have our parts in that, but that, that makes taking refuge in other people very risky for many of us. Um, which is why a lot of us, myself included, sometimes end up in the $250 an hour chair because for $250 an hour, this person better be trustworthy. You know, and, and, I, and I appreciate that. I participated in that. I still do. And I think it's important. But, um, you know, if we take these, I think these refugees are actually important practices. I think, and I think that's what they are. I think they're practices. How do we... How do we every day wake up and have a sense of practice towards, okay, uh, in what ways can I trust myself? You know, and when I, in what ways, and I'm sure you have a list, I have a pretty good list. There's certain areas in my life, there's certain things I can mostly trust myself 
now with certain things. Um, like I can trust myself with money. Um, I've always been pretty good with money. I've been really good at it. I, I can trust myself with that. Um, I can trust myself with being reliable. Um, so that there's some things I don't have to think about so much. But when I can't or I'm confused or I'm thinking, I'm not really so sure about this. I, I don't know if I can go this one alone. Then I can refer to, well, is there a Dharma teaching here? Is there some... Um, framework that I can use to better understand or to better navigate the situation that I'm in, um, which is actually just using Dharma uh, in this way. It's just as an external reference point, which is what I think the Buddhist teachings are. They're, they're maps. They're external roadmaps. They're external reference points that we can use to say, well, this is the experience I'm having, but this is the teaching. And they're not lining up right now. Like for me, the greatest, greatest map, external reference map is the Brahma Viharas. That, that for me is like pure gold because it's like when I'm suffering and I'm having a hard time and I'm in a lot of pain and I hold up that, that Brahma Vihara map and I go, okay, okay, the teaching is that kindness is always appropriate. Okay, I'm really not feeling the kindness right now. I really don't want to be kind to myself. I don't want to be kind to this person. I don't want to practice kindness in this situation. Am I going to trust my ill will right now and my woundedness, or am I going to trust that metta would be the better way to go? And, and, and I don't always get it right, right? Sometimes I go, no, I think I'm going to go with the ill will on this one. And, um, and, I, and then I pay the price of whatever the price is for that. There usually is one. I've never looked back at a moment of ill will and said, wow, man, I'm really glad I went with the ill will on that one. I haven't yet to have that experience. Uh, although in the heat of the moment, it's just like, I'm right, they're wrong, pretty sure, pretty convinced that I need to uh, do whatever it is that I need to do here. And then if that doesn't work, if I can't totally trust myself and I can't find a teaching or a, a dharma a frame or reflection that's helpful in that moment, then I can try to see if I can uh, talk to somebody. You know, can I, can I run, who can I run this by right now? Who will get it? Um, who is not just going to co-sign what I think, first of all, because that's where the mind goes. Because like, I have this bad idea and which one of my people will, will tell me that my bad idea is a good idea? You know, that's, you know, that's not what we're looking for. But, but who's going to hold my feet to the fire on this one? Um, and then, and then having, having those conversations. So for me that this, as much as I don't, I don't talk about this so much, I find myself doing this a lot. Like what I'm talking about here, I find myself doing this often. And I think it's also important for me to be honest about like what I'm actually doing there is I'm, I'm practicing a sense of refuge. I'm sort of trying to, to, to tease my attention through my experience to see, well, where's the trust, where's the trustworthy element here? You know, and where's the doubt? You know, and, and if there's doubt in all three, I definitely can't do it, the Dharma can't do it, and nobody else can help me do it, then what do we do? Um that's that's the I think that's a hard question a lot of times when we just when we're just in so much doubt that we're convinced. Um, and then that gives rise to, for me, it gives rise to isolation or a kind of, for me, what, what, what I usually end up in a very cynical frame uh, when, when I can't, when I can't get any sort of interaction 
from any of these. I just kind of get cynical and and I, for me, that's not good. That's not. Uh, I need to try to avoid that all at all cost. And a in a sort of Star Wars analogy, I actually can't ever afford to go to the dark side. Like I just can't do it. You know. Um, and for me, a sort of a, a doubt, a doubtful, cynical attitude, which I I find myself in more than I would like to admit. I can slip into that pretty quickly if I get really frustrated about something. And then I and then then I just I have to I have to recognize that and I usually have to work pretty hard, pretty hard to come back from that sort of dark side, um, because once I'm in the dark side, my mind starts scanning for evidence to suggest that the dark side is actually the trustworthy place to be. Uh, and if you start doing that, you'll get all kinds of data from your mind that will totally tell you, yeah, dude, like, you know. The dark side, man. I want the Death Star that I can just point anywhere and annihilate anything that even continues to confront me. You know, which is, uh, I don't know if that's really so good. So I thought we could do a practice, a refuge practice, um, where part of it is trying to, in a present time experience, whether it's your own breath or your own body. But where, and so then the question becomes, well, where in your present moment experience, where can you put your attention that feels trustworthy? Where can you let your attention rest that feels good, that feels capable, that feels stable? And and that is a, is a kind of practicing of refuge, especially in, in the terms of moment-to-moment cultivation. Um, so I think even this idea plays really well into just the practice of meditation, Um because if I can't find a place to put my attention that feels stable, meditation is really hard. You're like, it's all shit. You know, it's just, there's nowhere I can put my attention that's... And then then our, our job is to kind of go, well, mate, let's see, let's see, let's see. And then we investigate and we, we usually find that we can end up somewhere. So we'll use uh, mostly somatic objects, body objects uh, to begin and, and then we can move more into... Um, mind objects or attitude attitude objects such as like loving kindness or generosity if if you're unable to find that in your somatic experience and and then we can talk about this further so you can find a way to sit that feels upright comfortable So just taking a few moments to allow your body to settle into a suitable posture that is upright and comfortable. Just finding some stability in the body, just in the own ability to be upright, to have a sense of posture, holding the body with attention and presence. And then feeling into the body, understanding that we really do live in our bodies. As much as we are, spend lots of time in our thoughts and our worries and concerns and our thinking, we do inhabit the body as our primary vehicle for moving through the world.
and bringing more of a global awareness to a body. There is a body. There is a body sitting. There is a body breathing. A body receiving heat and temperature, coolness, warmth, comfort, discomfort. The energy of the body of feeling restless or excited, tired, lethargic, or rested and contented. And then uh, the best you can, allowing your awareness to rest in the felt sense of the body. Breathing in, breathing out. Contact points of the body sitting. And as you bring awareness into the body, just seeing where in the body is it most easy for you to be with. Where can the attention rest that feels most stable? It might even be multiple. It could be temperature, rising, falling with the breath, the hands. Doesn't matter. For me, I like to use the body as a global sensation, a global awareness of there is a body. And for the next few minutes, just steadying your awareness, stabilizing attention and so forth in the experience of the body, the breath and the senses.
Continuing to connect and sustain your awareness through your body form. And expanding further if you need to include or to open to any sense of generosity towards yourself or just the generosity it takes to take this time out of your busy schedule to sit and to reflect in this way. A sense of kindness, of ease, gratitude, appreciation, care, any of those that resonate in this moment can also be can also be touched and felt with our attention a trustworthy place to dwell a place to stay And part of this practice, this vihar, this dwelling is, where are you staying right now? Are you staying in the body, staying present for the breath, for a sense of internal goodness, a trustworthiness? Or are you staying in the doubt or the fear? So we can move into two questions of where is the attention? Where can you let your attention rest in the body that feels stable, that feels trustworthy, reliable? And once we get a sense of that, we can ask how is the attention? How is the awareness? Is it present and kind? Acceptance? Or does there feel like there's some resistance or some judging? So this practice of refuge is just a practice of here, I'm here, And how? How is it to be here?
And then the practice becomes just one of returning. Either we're returning back to a stable felt sense of the body, to a readjusting of an attitude or the way in which we're meeting experience. Or we're just staying there. We're already there. And we just rest. And so we simply recognize when we've wandered off and we return back and stay present as best we can. And practicing in this form for the last few minutes. Finding, exploring for a trustworthy object of attention. How can we be in this experience in a way that promotes ease, 
and present. Is the only